Dig a Bit, a podcast for women who want to dig into the meat of God's Word for a bit. We are glad you have taken a few minutes out of your day to listen. Our host is Cindy Colley from thecolleyhouse.org. Now grab your Bible and let's dig in. Happy holidays. I hope that you are having happy holidays. They are busy around the Collie House, and I'm sure that they are busy at your house too. We have a little bit of a reprieve this week with our schedules, this month rather, with our schedules because our podcast will be a little bit late for the month of December, month four of our glory study. The podcast is scheduled for January 7th, I believe. Lindsay Van Hook, I think, is going to be the co-host for that night, so I hope that you'll be able to join us. This is our third Digabit for the month of December, and I do want us to back up one more time and talk about the sons of Eli and the sons of Samuel and whether or not there was a parenting correlation there with Eli and Samuel. The reason I want to do this is because there was a great deal of discussion on our Facebook page, and I do like to respond to those generally speaking. And so I just do want to take a moment to talk about the parenting of Eli one more time with regard to the glory of God and then the parenting of Samuel that we find out about a little bit later on. So as we began, of course, the book of 1 Samuel by way of review, when Hannah and her husband Elkanah went down to the tabernacle and offered their sacrifice to God, and Hannah was found praying for a son. Eli misunderstood her, thought she was drunk, and then told her that her prayer for a son would be granted, and at that time she made the oath to God that she would bring that son, or at least that she would consecrate that son to God. And so we remember then that we're told that Eli's sons were very vile and wicked men. I mean vile to the point that they were not only taking the parts of the meat sacrifices that did not belong to them, the fat parts of the meat, and God had given some very clear instructions in the book of Leviticus as to what meat was to be eaten by the priests, and they were just gorging themselves on that meat, taking whatever they preferred for themselves selfishly to eat. But not only that, they were having sex with the women on the that came to the tabernacle on the steps of the temple. And obviously, this is a sin that was widely known. It was a sin that uh, was not receiving the the attention, the punishment that God would have had it to receive. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. But then at the end of chapter 3, you'll remember that Eli's daughter-in-law, she was married to one of these wicked sons of Eli, and she was with child, she was pregnant, she was ready to be delivered, and the ark of the the ark of God was taken. They had brought the ark, the children of Israel had brought the ark down to the battle as their lucky amulet, and I'm putting that in quotes because, of course, it was not any sort of amulet, but God showed them that that was the case, and he allowed that ark to be carried away by their enemies. And when she heard that, then she delivered that baby. She named him Ichabod, and she died, saying, The glory of the Lord is departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory is departed, for the ark of God is taken. Those are the last two verses 
of 1 Samuel chapter 4. The reason here that the sons had rebelled and were living these vile lives as priests was because was given. We actually know the reason, and it's given in chapter 3 of 1 Samuel in verse verses 12 and 13 in a prophecy that was given to Samuel about Eli in that day, verse 12, I will perform against Eli all things which I've spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end, for I've told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. So the the reason for the punishment of Eli and the curse of Eli is because he did not restrain his sons. And therefore, verse 14, I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house will not be purged with sacrifice or offering forever. When we read that, then we of course it's pretty easy for us to go over to 1 Kings chapter 2 and see the fulfillment of this prop- prophecy. Abiathar was a priest who was loyal to David, King David. He was a descendant of Eli. I believe he was four down from Eli himself, four generations down from Eli himself. A descendant of Eli, a priest. And he was loyal to David throughout the rebellion of David's son Absalom. But we come to this point in 1 Kings chapter 2, and he becomes loyal to Adonijah, the enemy of David, in the request. You remember Adonijah after David's death went through Bathsheba to request that he be given David's handmaid the the one who was chosen to lay with David for warmth as he was dying and I know I may be throwing some things out with which you're unfamiliar but he requested that she become his wife and Bathsheba was duped into going to ask Solomon her son for this for Adonijah and Abiathar at this time the high priest the the great great grandson of Eli This high priest then was loyal to the enemy, Adonijah. Adonijah's life was taken for that request. As you can imagine, having a wife or a concubine who had laid in the bed with the chosen king, the anointed one, would be a situation of compromise. It would be a way to say, I am going to be the king. Um, And that's what Adonijah was trying to do, was to supplant Solomon, to take over his kingdom. And Abiathar, the one who was the descendant of Eli, was at this time loyal to the opposition of God's plan, the opposition of Solomon. So in verse 26 of 1 Kings chapter 2, And unto Abiathar the priest said the king, we're talking Solomon here, Get you to Anathoth, to your own fields, for you are worthy of death. But I will not at this time put you to death, because you bear the ark of the Lord God before David my father, and because you have been afflicted in all wherein my father was afflicted. That is, you have been loyal to my father up until this point, 
so I'm not going to put you to death. But Solomon thrust out Abiathar from being priest unto the Lord, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which he spake concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. Parenthetically here, God does not forget his promises. And he had promised that he was going to put an end to the priesthood of the family of Eli. And here he does it with Abiathar four generations later in 1 Kings chapter 2, beginning in verse 25 and following. So there we have kind of a, a little summary of what was going on in the house of Eli when he did not restrain his sons. But you'll remember at this time, and I made this point in our study, that Hannah had made a vow to God that she would give Samuel her son to the service of God. And so the way that she did that was to bring her young son and place him under the tutelage of Eli, under the direct tutelage of Eli, a man who did not restrain his sons. We know that it was currently going on because Samuel, when he grew to be anywhere from 11 to 17 years of age, scholars think, this prophecy came to Samuel in the night, and the prophecy was that Eli's kingdom was going to be torn from, Eli's, not his kingdom, but his priesthood was going to be torn from him because he did not restrain his sons and because they were vile and wicked. So this is the unrestrained parenthood at work right under the nose of Samuel. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I know that Samuel was a faithful man in many ways. I understand that God had chosen him. I understand that God was speaking directly to him. And I understand that, that Samuel's mother, Hannah, was a woman of faith. But I'm still going to conjecture here, and please understand also that I am not dogmatic about this, but there is some evidence here that Samuel, in his parenting, in his relationship with his sons, messed up. And let's look at this just a little bit before this diggy bit concludes. So we have Samuel then growing up completely, and then we have Samuel's sons just a couple of chapters later being wicked men, wicked judges of Israel. So we have Samuel. He grows up and he is an old man at the beginning of chapter 8. And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. And the name of his firstborn was Joel and the name of his second Abiah and they were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but they turned aside after filthy money or lucre, and they took bribes, and they perverted judgment. And all the children of Israel then gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said to him, You are old, and your sons are not walking in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us, like all the other nations. So here we know that Samuel's sons were made judges by Samuel. I don't think that there is necessarily a way to concretely say that he should not have made his sons judges. 
but it does seem that the judgeship was never commanded to be a succession within a family. So Samuel here, at any rate, right or wrong, made his sons judges. And it goes ahead to comment then that his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after filthy money and took bribes and perverted judgment. Well, Cindy, what are you saying here? I cannot say with certainty that his sons made the choices while they were underneath his roof to take bribes and and to pervert judgment. I can say just what the scriptures say here. I can say though with certainty that God's will for wicked judges was not being carried out here as they were allowed to remain to be um, proclaimed judges and to remain judges apparently under Samuel until it created such a public nuisance, such a public uh, disgrace among the people that the people used that, albeit that wasn't their real entire reason in their hearts, but they used that as a catalyst to say this judgeship thing is not working because look at the wicked judges that are sons of Samuel in Beersheba. I can say that this situation within the family of Samuel was not handled by the patriarch of that family in a way that it should be. Well, Cindy, how can you say that? Well, I can look back at the book of Deuteronomy. If you'll turn there with me, and we'll begin in Deuteronomy chapter 16, and we will see there that God had a plan for judges who were wicked. It says, These times in a year, verse 16 of chapter 16, shall all your males appear before the Lord God in the place that he shall choose in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, in the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Tabernacles, and they will not appear before the Lord empty. Every man will give as he's able according to the blessing of the Lord God which he has given thee. So we're talking about the gifts that people were to give as they assembled together in these feasts where of course judges would be presiding judges and officers you will make verse 18 in all of your gates which the lord your god gives you throughout the tribes and they will judge the people with what kind of judgment just judgment you will not rest judgment you will not respect persons neither take a gift or a bribe For a gift blinds the eyes of the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. Here's the commandment, and yet this is exactly what the sons of Samuel were doing. That which is altogether just will you follow. We're talking about judges here. That you may live and that you may inherit the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not plant a grove of any trees near to the altar of the Lord your God which you shall make. Neither will you set up any image which the Lord your God hates. And then he goes on into verse 17 and talks about not offering the Lord any bullock or sheep wherein there is any blemish. He goes on to talk about if there is found any one of you that has wrought wickedness in the sight of the Lord in transgressing his covenant. Now this seems to be a pretty broad statement here. If your judges or 
any among you who is in your gates, any of your judges are transgressing this covenant that I'm speaking about here and has gone and served other gods and worshiped them, either the sun or the moon or any of the hosts of heaven, which I've not commanded. Now he narrows it down to idolatry, which is not mentioned in the family of Samuel. And it be told you and you've heard of it and inquired and it's true and the thing is certain. Bring forth that man or, or woman which, com which has committed the wicked thing to your gates and stone them with stones till they die. Now we're in a context here, an immediate context of idolatry, but we're in a bigger context of a covenant that God made with his judges that included not taking bribes, not perverting judgment, not resting judgment. The hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death and afterward the hands of all the people so that you will put evil away from among you. And then he goes on to talk about if a matter arises that's too hard in judgment between blood and blood, between plea and plea, between stroke and stroke, between matters of controversy within your gates, then you will arise and get you up to the place which the Lord your God will choose and come to the priest, the Levites, and unto the judge that will be in those days and inquire, and they will show you the sentence of judgment. I'm telling you, sisters, this thing was not happening in the judgeship of the sons of Samuel. It was not happening. It didn't happen in the sons of Eli. And then again in the second cycle around, this purifying of the judgeship did not occur in the sons of Samuel. So let's look then at 1 Samuel chapter 8 again having just read what God said in Deuteronomy 16 and 17 about how matters of controversy that couldn't be settled between blood and blood were to be settled. And we see in, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after filthy money. They took bribes. They perverted judgment. And what happened about it? Well, the result of it, it doesn't say here that Samuel settled the matter with his sons or that Samuel who had appointed his sons judges took this matter to the, the high priest the sons of Levi what happened here it says then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and they didn't say let's settle this matter of vileness within your family Samuel within this judgeship what they said was, give us a king, something which God had never planned and a system which God had never put into place. We might be able to say that Samuel was a better parent than, Le than Eli was. We might be able to say that he did, wasn't necessarily influenced I don't even see how we could say, though, that he was not influenced in his parenthood by Eli. That's something that just obviously happens if a young child is placed under the tutelage, under the parentage, if you will, of a man who's not restraining his sons, and he grows up seeing that in that kind of environment. I don't see how we could say that his own personal parenting wasn't affected in some ways. 
But we might be able to say that, and I, we would be able to say that Samuel was a faithful man. I believe he was faithful to God, but I believe he messed up in his relationship with his sons, if not while they were children, at least in this instance in 1 Samuel chapter 8, when he didn't handle this taking of bribes, this resting of judgment, this walking after filthy lucre, as it says, or um, money that was ill-gotten gain. He didn't handle it. He didn't handle it in the way that God had commanded back in Deuteronomy, and he didn't, ha and the people didn't handle it in the way that God had commanded them to handle it. I think a parallel for our world today, for our kingdom of Christ today, would be the way that elders in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 2 Thessalonians are commanded to handle evil that comes into the body of Christ. What if, we are priests today after all, what if a son of an elder is involved in public sin and yet that sin is just sort of winked at or overlooked? that that is not purged from the kingdom as was this sin to be purged from the kingdom in Deuteronomy 16 and 17. What if it is a family member of an elder and we just sort of look the other way and we allow maybe dishonest practices to occur, we, we allow maybe embezzlement in from the treasury or we allow um, wickedness that is known by the community. We just kind of try to cover that up because this is in the family of an elder. That would sort of be a parallel. And you can see how negatively infectious that would be for the body of Christ. So I just want to put a peg down here and say that, you know, while we can conjecture about the parenting practices of Samuel and I would conjecture that he learned a lot about parenting that he paid a big price for here in 1 Samuel chapter 8. I would conjecture that he learned a lot about that from being under the tutelage of a parent that restrained not his sons and by being around wickedness in his early days and I would also conjecture that as a mother, in fact I can firmly say as a mother I could have never left my child in that environment and I know that there have been a lot who have taken issue with that we don't ever see God's I'm going to say his we see Hannah presented as a good woman and I believe she was but we don't ever say see God's full approval of what Hannah did in leaving Samuel in the temple with Eli when he was a very young child in the environment where men were lying on the temple steps committing fornication. Now I'm not saying that God did not in some way approve that and overrule that in his providence. Of course he used Samuel in a very providential way and Samuel became a man of great faith. I understand that. I just believe that Samuel did not learn how to parent under the tutelage of Eli because what example did he have? But whatever you believe about that, and I'm good with whatever you believe about that, whatever you believe, it wasn't handled 
the problem between Samuel and his sons, his relations of his own household, were not handled the way that God commanded in Deuteronomy 16 and 17. By the time we get to 1 Samuel chapter 8 and Samuel's sons are perverting judgment. It just wasn't taken care of in the way that Deuteronomy 16 and 17 commanded. That's the point that I wanted to make today. I hope that uh, we can take something positive from that as parents, that we can understand that generationally we can do much good. We can take glory away from God if, like Eli, we restrain not our children. I hope you have a great day, and I hope that you are progressing along with the study, and I hope you're having great holidays. Have a good one. If you find yourself in Huntsville, Alabama, we'd love for you to worship with us at West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest. Sunday morning worship begins at 9 a.m., followed by Bible classes for all ages. We meet again at 5 p.m. for evening worship and at 7 on Wednesday night. Dig a Bit is a production of Digging Deep in God's Word, a Bible study for women. For more information, visit thecolleyhouse.org.